ladies and gentlemen, we are on episode 13, and I really cannot believe that we are here on episode 13. And you're going to understand why I say that here. I wanted to, first of all, kind of just recap how we've gotten here, just because I have a feeling there's going to be some new listeners <laughs> listening to this, just, just a hunch, but... Basically, back this my first episode you'll see was back in July, and you know I really kind of flirted with the idea of doing a UO podcast. I made a post basically, and I on Reddit just a very informal said, "Hey, would anyone listen?" And I got about I would say twenty or so responses of people that said, "You know, yeah, I'd listen." So I said, "You know what?" I'm going to do it. There's no other, you know, UO podcast that, you know, I saw and I figured why not do this and just let's kind of relive, you know, the old school and kind of just talk about UO in general. But I said, also, I really want this to be a unifying um, podcast. What I mean by that is I, I didn't want to just do one, you know, podcast for a certain free shard. Or for, you know, OSI, the production shards. I really didn't want to do that. I wanted this to be all-encompassing. I don't care what shard you play. I don't care if you have your own private shard. And you just play your, like, you know, by yourself, right? And create a world. I don't care. I, I want this to be, you know, a experience that everyone can relate to. Um, because I think very often... And, the, and I know in the free shark community it can get very toxic that you kind of build a little silo for yourself and you, you kind of forget that there is another world outside the free shards or that specific shard you're playing. Um, so, you know, I, I really, I really want to just say thank you for the people that have helped me on my path uh, to get here. But um, I, I really couldn't say who this was, but uh, in this episode, and more than likely, I'm probably going to split this up into two because this conversation was just, it it, it surpassed my, I think, wildest dreams. Uh, but this episode will be part one of Lord British himself is coming on. Um, I, uh, <laughs> and I laugh because when I originally pitched the idea, I tossed it over the fence, right? And I got a reply and said, sure, you know, I, I would love to do it. I honestly was ill-prepared. I could not believe that, <clears throat> yet alone, uh, Lord British, you know, is responding, but, you know, agreeing, you know, to do this with me. And I said, oh, crap, right? I said, I need to really do some homework. So to give you the background of how this, you know, how these questions came about. I did research. Um, I did watch the uh, the Netflix, uh, the high score episode. Where he's on number three about role players. Um, I kind of got more understanding about, you know, I knew, I know about Gary yet, not, you know, to, you know, the extent of probably some people, but I, I know about him. I, I've, I've heard old interviews. Uh, I think there was one on, um, I believe it was IGN or something like that. And a lot of these questions were, I would like to say surface level questions, like where someone, yeah, they logged in to play UO, right? But they're really just asking not really deep questions. My goal was, okay, I get Lord British in front of me. I want to almost community source questions to ask him. And there is a select few of you that um, I did ask for some input and I didn't say it was Lord British, by the way. <laughs> um, but some of the questions I got from the community really helped um, drive this conversation. Um, you're going to hear, you know, anything from, uh, you know, role playing specific questions to UO, you know, game developing stuff. But I wanted to move past the kind of tired conversation of, oh, how did you create UO? How did you come up with the idea, right? We're past that. <clears throat> I mean, it's very clear, right, <laughs> with how many interviews have been done 
how many articles have been done with, you know, Lord British is very apparent how he got there. Just If you just literally watch that Netflix episode for 45 minutes, you will quickly see, you know, how we, how we got to Ultima Online. But I, I really wanted to kind of, I want to, I'm going to say gently press some of, you know, the more difficult questions, which I will say, uh, Lord British answered very gracefully. And I believe he was very in depth in, in his answer. And I, I, I'm obviously going to have to like do another like follow up with just me talking to you guys about this whole experience. Cause there's literally so much that was said and there's so much I want to say. And I, and I feel like by the end of listening to both these episodes, you're going to have very strong opinions um, about current UO, the production broadsword. Um, and I hope you have a newfound respect for the old school UO devs and, you know, I would say Garriott's leadership because I did push the Trammel Feluca question and I hope the answer you hear, you can understand it from not, not just a player perspective, a business perspective, you know, a game developer's perspective and then a player one. Um, I think it's very easy <clears throat> to just say that was a bad idea that ruined and killed the game, right? That's a very easy comment to say. But when you listen to the passion that this man has for this game, I, I and you know, because I'll be I'll be real with you guys. That was a question that I wanted an answer on because I really couldn't wrap my head on, okay, why did they make this decision? Was just like, was this in haste? They just say, oh, well, we're just going to do this to fix it. And you'll see his answer. And uh, I, I think you will have a newfound respect for why they chose to go that direction. Because literally, you know, I don't think there was another direction to go. And I will challenge you as a, as a player and as a perhaps maybe, maybe a more mature person than we were <laughs> back when we played as we were punk kids, right? That you could ask yourself, okay, you're in their shoes. What would you have done differently, right? Um, so, and I don't want to get into it too much because it's something I want to talk about, um, <clears throat> you know, in other episodes, but just really, really think about that. Um, I do want to say too, a, a very huge thank you um, to the few of you that did reply to me and help me crowdsource some questions. I will say big shout out to the orcs on Outlands. Um, you know who you are. Thank you. Uh, I will say Luthius, a huge thank you for, uh, and he's a developer in Outlands, for writing me a very thorough uh, response on some of the questions and kind of got me more in the game developer headspace to formulate some questions, um, which is very important. And, you know, I really think, and there, there's other people on this, you know, list that I did, uh, you know, kind of speak to. Um, and, you know, it was very important for me to draw a distinct parallel that what, you know, Garriott and team went through is literally what free shards are going through right now and will continue to go through. What I mean by that is we have seen, you know, an explosion in free shard activity, player base, whatever. They are facing very similar design decisions that people had to make back in 1999, 2000, 2001. Um, so, you know, do not think that, <clears throat> oh, this happened 20 years ago. It's not relevant. It is very relevant today. And trust me, talking to not only Garriott, other shard owners, uh, Plato from Hybrid, they have to make these decisions like every week, every month. 
right? So I, I really hope you guys have um, a very fond respect for anyone that runs a free shard. I mean, or, you know, is involved in development. It's a huge deal. Um, so really, I, and, and also finally, of course, thank you to uh, Richard Garriott. Um, I will say one of the most accessible, creative, and, and probably most talented people I will ever have the pleasure of speaking with. Um, and, you know, just a, <laughs> a little bit of behind the scenes, because I, I think a lot of times people don't talk about this, you know, because it's a big production and, and, you know, it's just this perfect, I'll put that in air quotes. But um, so it was really funny when, when we initially spoke, um, you know, I was like, hey, we're just recording audio, so we don't need, um, you know, like cams on or whatever. It wasn't a big deal. But um, I did have my son come in and um, I told my son, I said, hey, you can ask Gary one question, anything you want, you know, given his history. So my son came in the room and uh, Gary, it was like, oh, let me, let me turn on the cam. And I was like, oh, so I fumbled it. I was like, oh, let me turn on mine too. We turned on the cam and it was just so cool to see my son and him interact on a personal level, right? He asked him a question. It was fine. But then, you know, as I, as we just went into the recording, we just left, you know, the cam on and it was so cool because, and, and I, and I want to be very specific. The questions I asked him, I could tell were very in-depth and it really made him think. And I will just say by his facial, you know, expressions, I could tell he really had to think about it, you know, and give it a response, which is was exactly what I was aiming for. Because as a, you know, host and a, you know, podcaster, I do not want to waste your time. Right. I, I don't want to ask really redundant questions that have been answered. Um, I really want to get, you know, in the weeds. Right. And it was something I think really magical. And, you know, just to just to prove that theory out, I did ask after and, you know, Garriott's response to me was, you know, you did ask very unique, um, you know, questions and he definitely appreciated it. So. I will tell you guys, you are in for an absolute treat because where <laughs> not only laugh because it's just, there's just so much, we, you know, there's the, there's anything from very specific orc lore in the game that I had no idea uh, of certain armor that was created, all the way to, you know, Garriott literally, and, and you don't get to see it obviously because you're hearing it, but seeing you know games that are on Lord British's phone, right? I mean, <laughs> just, it was so cool to just go, you know, we went absolutely everywhere uh, on this talk and it was just so thoroughly enjoyable for me. So again, huge thank you to Lord British um, because I tell you what, if you ever told me um, whether it was 20 years ago, you know, or I would say a month ago, hey, you're going to be waking up and you're going to be talking to Lord British, you know, I definitely would have laughed in your face, first of all. Um, and, and just the magic of coming this far that I know, you know, that this podcast to me um, is something special. And, and I, I really, truly hope you guys are enjoying it half as much as I am producing it. Because I assure you, as a one man production team, you know, so there are some weeks where, you know, the time and, and the effort I put in, you know, seems to be a lot. Um, and I do get emails from you guys, which I, I sincerely appreciate, uh, you know, you guys just reaching out to me, but you know, there are some weeks where I'm like, man, it's so busy. I hope I can get around to it. Um, so thank you. And, and please, you know, please keep emailing me Ultima online podcast at gmail.com. Um, I also, I stream on Twitch under Mustache Gaming TX. You can also find me on Twitter, uh, the same handle, uh, Mustache Gaming. Um, you, you can find me there too. Um, and it's at Mustache Gaming, the number two on Twitch, or uh, sorry, on Twitter. And then on Twitch, if you just type in literally Mustache Gaming TX, you'll find me. I do stream UO, believe it or not. 
um, which has been a a blast. It's been uh, there's been ups and downs. I, I really would like to talk about that too. Um, but you know, please guys, reach out to me on Discord, Twitter, whatever it is. Let me know what you all think of this because um, all I can say, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag. This is just the beginning, and I'm not stopping. I am taking this as far as I can go. Like, literally, you know, I'm taking this football coast to coast is my goal. And I hope that you guys will follow me along this journey because while I will say having Lord British is the top, some of the next people that I hopefully have coming on here it's going to be, they're going to be right up there at the top as well. And it's going to be unbelievable because in my mind, I want this podcast to, you know, whatever happens in the future, I have no idea. I would love for this to be almost a library of just UO. And, and what I mean by that is a real conversation from a UO player, a person that actually PVP'd, you know, treasure hunted, you know, stole from people, griefed people, you know, was involved in a guild that, you know, did PVM. The only thing I didn't do was crafting, by the way. So I won't, I won't say that. I'll be honest with you guys. But you know what I'm saying? A real UO player asking some of these questions, I think, holds infinite more value than, you know, someone from IGN or whatever that has some, you know, corporate agenda and that can only ask you know, very, uh, surface, you know, fluff questions. So in any case, guys, please, uh, you know, sit down, get yourself a cup of coffee, um, and really just enjoy this. And I will definitely be catching you guys next week because I will be posting a uh, part two to this. So, um, just keep an eye on the podcast again, guys, thank you so much for the support and I will catch you next time. All right, guys, I am here with Lord British, and I just, you know, I, I just told him this story, but waking up this morning and telling my family that, you know, Lord British is going to be talking to me, you know, and getting the eye rolls and the, you know, confused look on my family's face was totally worth it because this has been a long time coming. So, Lord British, why don't you introduce yourself and, you know, let's get this party started. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's great to be with you here this morning. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've been in this, I've been in the gaming industry for 40 plus, almost 45 years, I suppose. So, uh, so yes, having uh, especially younger family members who might not know the term Lord British, uh, <laughs> much less, uh, you know, Richard Garriott, which is probably even more alien to, to uh, people, uh, is quite something. But, but as you know, well, uh, I've been making games since really the beginning of the gaming industry. Uh, yeah. Starting on the original Apple II, uh, in fact, I've got one sitting behind me here. But uh, uh, made the series of games called Ultima, a little series that was uh, popular, uh, pretty popular for the first 25 years of gaming, and and uh, sort of the the finale of that series was called Ultima Online, which, as you know well, uh, operates to this day. So it's uh, uh, by that measure the longest running series in the history of computer gaming absolutely and it's funny i um i did a podcast uh sunday night and the the, the guest i had caught me off guard he's like hey i just wanted to stream it live on twitch too and i was like oh wow i'm like that's interesting and of course it came up like oh what is the oldest mmo and we have a lot of fact checkers a lot the internet never forgets and how people are like, oh, the realm was the first one and all that. And it's just so funny how just something so small, so controversial, but I, I view UO as absolutely the longest running because, you know, none of these other games are still running that have, I think, you know, a cult. Following. Yeah, well, but but as you know, the, uh, you know, as long as there have been computers, people have been trying to hook them together and play multiplayer somethings. Yes, and, right. Uh, and so actually, when I was getting my start, there was a system called Plato which was only in universities. It wasn't something you could buy or sell products for at a store. Okay. But there were people who made multiplayer games even on that Play-Doh, including multiplayer role-playing games. So, you know, whether it's a text-based MUD multi-user dungeon or a graphical MUD 
or other, you know, even before we did Ultima Online, we actually, almost every year we did Ultima, we looked at, you know, whether a dial-up bulletin board service would let us do a, a full-featured Ultima right. as an online game. And the answer was always no, that, that, that there wasn't enough audience there yet or the machines right. weren't capable of really doing it yet. <clears throat> and so it wasn't until, you know, the late 1990s that we finally said, okay, now's our time. Let's go build Ultima Online. So, uh, so what we think of it as is the first truly massively multiplayer online right. game. So that's where the term MMO comes from. That term was actually created by the Ultima Online team wow. and uh, was really the first time uh, online games crossed over into millions of players. Right. And, you know, I always, this is such a fun question that I ask, you know, everyone for you, obviously it's a little different, but hearing, you know, I always ask like, how did you get, you know, involved in UO? How did you hear about UO? And I will tell you my story, because it's not very long, of how I heard about UO. And when I was a kid, I was an avid fan of the YMCA. Went to summer camp probably for a decade, right? The same one, same group of friends. And I remember we were on uh, the playground and that, and it's, it's amazing how vivid my memory is about this, such an obscure thing. But the kid's name was Chance. He walks up to me and he's like, Hey man, I was playing this game and I'm a big gamer. I'm like, what were you playing? He's like, Ultima online. I'm like, okay, well, what is that? And he's like, Oh, he's like, it, it was this game where I, I was in a town. I attacked someone guards were chasing me. I killed that person. I took their stuff and I ran from the guards. And immediately just hearing this concept, I was like, were the people like live? They were real people? And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, there are thousands of people. And I remember in my head thinking, how is that? You know, it just, it blew my mind that that was even possible. And, you know, for the younger listeners here, and this is going to be really funny. You know what I'm talking about. I asked him, I said, hey, Chance, could you bring into camp the disc? You know, just that word. I know people are going to get crazy, but. He actually brought a jewel case, right? <laughs> a relic from <laughs> long, long ago. And of course, in typical fashion, the top of the jewel case is busted off, right? It was just CD in jewel. And I remember loading it on my computer and it was like, you know, it was revolutionary. And I, I want to say this too, because I think you're going to touch on this. I haven't heard anyone talk about this. I remember asking my mother, I said, hey, there's a game, but I need your credit card to you know subscribe to it and that was just a you know she's like what that sounds like a scam i'm like no no i don't think it is so did you did you ever think about that adaptation you know, like even you know after it was released how people would react to that a subscription model oh yeah of course well <clears throat> you know i have that same reaction now when my <laughs> kids come up to me and, you know, uh, for example, my daughter literally just this last week started playing Roblox. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> Roblox is a free-to-play game. Right. And, uh, and of course, as you and I know well, free-to-play is rarely very free for long. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so my daughter, you know, started coming up to me going like, well, hey, you know, I've got this egg I'd really like to hatch. And, you know, I either have to, you know, wait, like, till tomorrow Right. Or can't you just buy me some of these coins? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it was like, okay. Then we had to sit down and have a long talk about, you know, the design of these games and how they're really, you know, built to uh, uh, suck money. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, which in my mind is, <clears throat> you know, is much more um, uh, the, the free-to-play model, you know, can sweep a lot more money off the table than a subscription. Yes. So as, as painful as people thought a subscription was, don't even forget, what, you know well, I'm sure, what came before subscription, which is when we, when we were on the dial-up bulletin board system days, you actually had to pay by the minute. Yes. And so that was one of the problems when, I, when we were thinking about trying to make an Ultima for dial-up services, is that if you had to pay by the minute or by the hour, the cost to connect would be you know incredibly high. Right. Because we knew these weren't a 10-minute game to play. This is a game you're going to sit and play for hours at a time. Yep. And that immediately meant, you know, just the dial-up service would cost you or charge you, not even us, the service would charge right. you, you know, hundreds of dollars per day. And we wow. just thought, you know, that's not, you know, uh, that's not tenable for us to make a game on. Well, and, you know, and I'm sure you've heard about this, but now my play style, I am heavy in the PVP scene, you know, which is a very interesting part we'll get into, but I remember... And the fun question I asked to people, I'm like, you know, what was your connection like? And everyone, everyone I've had on here, they're like, oh, it was garbage. It was horrible. You know, it was like, 
I remember I was at 28.8 on AOL, right, connecting. Um, and I remember I wasn't on it too long because DSL came pretty quickly to our area. And then that was like a game changer. But I remember to this day, there were top tier PVPers that would pay for a T1 line to their house to play UO. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah. No, in fact, uh, uh, I remember at that same time, our, our company, I think we had a, a single T, T1 yeah. that we were, were building the game on. <clears throat> and even running the service basically right. on it. It, it quickly it became multiple t1s but uh, uh but but yeah no a t1 was you know the peak of speed and <laughs> right. and and incredibly expensive you know back in those days wasn't it a thousand a month or something like that something like that yeah it was uh it was it was it was very high right and, yeah and, uh, <laughs> and required you know custom you know people to come out and install hardware and all kinds of stuff Right. Oh, no. Like the people that had it were very well off personally, but it was just it was amazing to see people go to that length, you know, just for a game. Right. I mean, that is like wild. But OK, I want to ask this, too, because I've interviewed a lot of shard owners of the free shards when I'm talking about specifically. And it's fascinating what goes behind just even a free shard with a couple thousand people. Right. When and I know you talked about this before, but what character would you ideally play in UO? Because I know you said that you kind of watched privately, right? Like you were invisible, people couldn't see you and you could see interactions. But, you know, did you ever actually have a character that you played? If, and if not, you know, what would you like to play? Well, so in UO, uh, I mostly played as Lord British, right. which also means when I wasn't invisible. But that also means I wasn't uh, playing by any particular rules. Okay. You know, in the sense of whatever I needed, I would fabricate it for myself. Right. You know, uh, literally on the spot. And so, uh, and 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 there was an and I was attempting to make myself immortal, as you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, <clears throat> you know, it wouldn't really be a fair PvP battle, so I wouldn't really go do that. Uh, and uh, and nor did I really need to craft anything. So 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 I didn't really play properly ever in. Okay. Uh, However, if I was going to, I know what I would be, which would be much more on the crafting side. Really? So I okay. enjoy exploring, exploring, uh, finding resources, the discovery process, you know, bringing them out and then uh, making things out of it and learning the recipes and other ways to, uh, uh, to make stuff. So that's definitely the side of the playing that I'm on. Okay. Uh, and I think the only real reason is, you know, it's a, e even, even in my, you uh, peak performance as a gamer uh, <laughs> i would be cremated i'd be slaughtered if i played against people on a, in a fair fight in pvp right I mean, there was there was literally never a time uh not only in uo but frankly any game i, <laughs> I remember uh if you remember the original command and conquer yes um which was a, an early multiplayer game right <clears throat> and a really good one in, uh, in my mind i remember that me and our cfo of the company got playing each other and okay you know i went for a while and then he'd went he'd figure out a strategy and he'd beat me and then i'd figure out a strategy that i could beat him and after about two months we thought we were just great because we'd been playing <laughs> it for months yeah we'd been beating each other for months and then we opened up and said okay who else in the company wants to play against us because we right. know we're champions and you know a couple of the youngsters from qa decided to play against us and just walked right over us <laughs> and, and it was just a lesson of you know i just am not cut out for right. uh, you know, competing in any serious way in a, in PvP. No, and I can tell you, you know, as a guy in my 30s, I am already past my peak in <laughs> reaction time and you know that stuff, and that's okay. So it's all right. I, I, I do it more for the enjoyment, right? And yeah. and it's funny you bring up crafting because I talked to a guy on Sunday night, and he's like, "Yeah, I got a 115 mining, and I love it." And I'm like, "What?" He's like, oh man, he's like, I love going out to the mountains and just taking my pickaxe and, and mining. And I equated it to this to real life, you know, when when you, you know, you have a house or whatever, and someone's like, Oh, you want to paint the walls? Either you love painting <laughs> or you hate it. Right. It's a very and I feel like, you know, crafting to me, I never had an interest. I never understood it. But there is still to this day a core player base that that's all they do craft you know and blacksmith and all that yeah you know and i think uh <clears throat> you know hats off as much to anybody as to raf coster uh on the original uo team yeah 
who did a really great job of, of building not just one loop, but the crafting loop is a good example, but he built multiples of these loops into the, into the system where, you know, the miners really needed tools to go out and do the mining with that had right. to be crafted by somebody. Uh, you know, they would, you know, get valuable, uh, you know, gold or iron out of the mines, but that took them time and effort. So they were now prey for all the PKers right. who really would like to pick up their free stuff. Uh, which means they would need to hire themselves some guards or at least have some good armor and stuff too to get themselves back into town. Right. And, uh, and then the, you know, the crafters would generally hide out in the towns <laughs> since they were yeah. prepared to go out into the wilds. And so it sort of made this little group of, you know, guards and miners and uh, crafters <clears throat> that were very much interdependent upon each other. Right. Uh, and we tried to do that, you know, with a number of different activities in the game. Uh, the the crafting and protection one, uh, crafting, mining, and protection just happened to be one of the most successful. The, the, it was very obvious at the very beginning yeah. that this was going to be a, a cause of, of success of this game. And, you know, in, in your opinion, and I've played, you know, many MMOs chasing the UO glory. Like, I mean, I'm sure probably tens of thousands have, but... I have never still to this day seen an MMO that has implemented the crafting, you know, system that UO did. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, the one of the, the hallmarks I would argue of even Ultima broadly, even outside of mm -hmm. Ultima Online, it just happened to happen come together especially strongly in Ultima Online. You know, if if you contrast it to the goals that other games, including MMOs, uh, aspire to yeah um, a lot of MMOs aspire to a different primary goal and I'll use another incredibly great game worlds of Warcraft as yeah. the case as the as the op opposite case study in a world the worlds of Warcraft has a fine-tuned challenge and reward cycle that is better than any other game <clears throat> that I know of, of of its time sure and and so the you know, just when you're getting tired of fighting level one monsters and grinding to get to level two, you know, <laughs> level two not only opens up to you, but that, but being at level two means there's a little bit more map to explore. Right. And then you're grinding in level two area until you barely, re, you know, you're almost tired of it when you finally get to level three, and now you have a whole new area of map to explore. But that's not how I ever did an Ultima. Ultimas right. were always much more freeform. You can go anywhere you want in an Ultima starting day one. And the clue trails you know, you're, you're not locked in this fence to, you're not level gated. Right. Uh, you're sort of, you're sort of information gated. And, uh, uh, you know, if somebody tells you the you know, person with the next clue is in a far flung town, you know, that may or may not be an easy place to get right now. And so right. you may have to put that quest on hold while you become strong enough to go there. And so I think it was sort of this, this open world design of Ultima and especially Ultima Online, right? That allowed it to kind of uh, do this so well. Well, and and it, I'm glad you brought that up because that's always a, a similar contrast people make. You know, oh well, wow, does this now? When you were developing UO, did you ever consider instead of the skill system a level based system? Um, yeah, we had that discussion, but um, uh, but it was pretty quickly. Uh, discarded we really felt that uh uh well, I, well in fact he, 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 and, and uo was not perfect about this example but it was a step in the right direction in my mind right you know if you if you think of levels in most games um you, you know i like to think of number systems in a scale that is relevant to the human existence so for example if i said i was a hundred percent the strongest human, right. you know, that would, in my mind, mean that I am an Olympian. I'm an Olympic athlete. You know, and if <laughs> right. I'm 100% in intelligence, it means I'm Gary, Gary Kasparov playing chess, yeah. um, et cetera. And then you could go, then by that, you could then measure that and go, okay, well, if I was going to wrestle a horse, you know, a horse is probably five times as strong as a person. <laughs> and yeah. maybe five of us could tackle that horse. But if you think about leveling in most games, you know, once you're level five compared to a level one, the level, you, it would take a lot more than five level one people to take you. If right. You, yeah. It's almost this exponentially exponential growth. And so the numbers quickly go completely out of scale with anything you can wrap your mind around. 
and especially since it was going to involve player versus player activity, yeah. we didn't want things to scale out like that. And so the skill-based one we thought would let us contain the mathematics okay. and also the mental understanding of, you know, what are my chances against you? You know, if you've got twice the skill as me, that's going to be pretty hard. I better bring right. a friend. You know, and if you've got 10 times the skill as me, you know, if you're fighting Andre the Giant you know, with, with the rocks <laughs> in his hand, you know, you're going like, okay, I better, I better bring a posse yeah. you know, to take him down. No, that's really interesting because I think, unfortunately, this is the downside to it. I was spoiled and many people were spoiled by the skill design because we got so, to me, it just makes sense skills like and then i played other mmos where it's like levels and it just it didn't feel as good as one of the skill system to me now i don't know if i'm biased because that's the first iteration <laughs> of mmos right. you know but i always just like to ask that because it's just such a wild you know design decision and many yep. people love it um so we're going to stick on pvp for a second as we touched on it did you, when you initially created Ultima, was, you know, PvP really considered, you know, as a thing? Did you think that was going to occur? Oh, uh, you know, anything you put in the game, you presume will occur. The <laughs> question is, is the thing you don't know is which one will become the most popular. Right. You know, for example, as you're well aware, in the earlier Ultimas, you know, you could kill all the town people. In fact, in every Ultima, you could kill all the townspeople. Yeah. And and it wasn't until a few Ultimas in that I realized everyone was killing all the townspeople. <laughs> right. And uh, and to me, that was going like, oh, the fact that that has become like the one of the most popular ways to play is actually kind of a problem because in this game, you're supposed to be the hero. And in right. fact, the players are being pretty nefarious. <laughs> and so that's actually one of the impetuses to create Ultima 4 Quest of the Avatar, right. where you have to prove yourself to be a person of virtue, is realizing that, oh, I put those things in there so you could do them, but I didn't realize it would become the dominant mode of play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, but in Ultima Online, you know, I think we, we easily expected PvP to become popular, or at least some level of popularity. What we didn't expect is things like fishing, to become super popular right i mean the original simulation for fishing was literally you cast a line in the water and you flip a coin 50 50 chance you get a fish <laughs> that was the beginning and end of the entire simulation and yet people would immediately begin going like oh i catch more when it's a full moon than when it's not or i catch right. more over in this river versus in that ocean and i'm going like <laughs> no you don't it's it's 50 50 no right where you go. but it but it was so popular that we started adding depth into that feature. So, so what you do is you, you put all the things in you think are fun, including PVP. Right. Then you see what people are enjoying, and then you deepen it or sweeten it or you know, deal with the ramifications of the, the imbalance that might come out of it. Right. Well, and, and it's interesting because, you know, as you always evolved, you know, right now, you know, in 2020, and this has gone on for five, 10 years on the free shards, PVP is, I wouldn't say the main draw, but a very heavy draw, you know, to, to the game, you know, today. And a lot of people, including myself, we just love the design of PVP, the, and I think it's the risk too, that, you know, yes, even though people have extraordinary amounts of, you know, regs and, swords but the fact that i can dry loot someone adds just such a <laughs> level of fun but and, and i'll say this because i don't know i'm assuming you guys experiences i don't know but and i've i've gathered this from talking to current shard owners um the level of rage and toxicity that that creates i think um is unparalleled no other game has done had, did you guys experience that you know when you were oh, on the team? yeah unquestionably but but also think about it this way too so there are often unintended consequences or <laughs> loopholes that you know we didn't expect right and and some of those are funny and <laughs> as an outside observer actually add pleasure to the whole process but at the same time some of those create nightmares and anger in right. the people to whom they're perpetrated on and so let me so let me, let me so let's first start with you know pvp is a fair battle yeah if pvp is a fair battle that is consensual 
you know, most everybody would agree that's great fun. Yeah. Uh, and and even adding the risk of saying, hey, if I kill you, I can take the stuff that is on your body is also reasonable and fun. But it immediately becomes a lot less fun if one of those things that could be taken from your body is the key to your house or the keys <laughs> to your boat. Right. In which case, you really can't put them anywhere because you, you know you can't hide them in your house because right. then you couldn't get in your own house. And so people are going like, that's not fair for it to be risky. We shouldn't foresee that one, but that's what, that would be pretty easy for us to fix, right? We just say, okay, there's certain things you can't loot off a body. We can turn that off. Right. But then people would figure out other little ways to cheat. Like, <laughs> as you know, in towns where it's considered safe and out of towns is considered dangerous. And so miners, when they would finally make it back to the edge of town and go, woof, boy, I finally made it to town. I'm safe. They'd walk into the bank to deposit whatever it is they brought back. And some players figured out that the because of the roof popping off technology to where when you go underneath <laughs> an overhang yeah. the roof disappears they could put a portal just inside the door of the bank that could not be seen when you were standing outside the bank but as soon as you step inside the bank to have the roof removed so you can see the portal you are also immediately standing in the portal <laughs> and and the portal they would set one up to to teleport you out in the middle of the woods where you're no longer safe Right. And people beat you up and take all your stuff. And as an observer, you're going like, that is hilarious that people figured this out, you know, and it's right. like, and, and, you know, and if you manage to survive it, or when it happens to you just once, you can laugh about it and go, oh, wow, that was so amazing. I, I ended up in the middle of the woods and the gang of people was over there, you know, beating me to a bloody pulp. Right. But, but once you get past it and you go like, look, I can no longer do this safely. There's no, yeah. there's no strategy I can deploy that doesn't end up with me losing everything i'm working towards then what becomes fun for one party becomes an unfair anger generator for the other party right and i know talking to some developers and shard owners they said everything they do either it's custom or they put out is exploited to the bone right and someone will find a way to you know dupe something to get around a mechanic to it is you know, and again, these, you know, free shards, we're talking, you know, thousands of people, not millions. So I couldn't even imagine. And, and, and a fun one just popped in my head. I'm hoping you know who this is. Do you remember a website called Ask Chopper? Ask Chopper? No, I'm afraid I don't. Oh, wow. Okay. So back in the day, and I'm talking like, you know, GeoCities days where, you know, I mean, and I'm really probably dating myself, but, you know, websites were HTML, you know, basic, whatever. And, this guy had a website called askchopper.com and it was an exploit website for a UO. But what he did, he was ahead of his time. He monetized it. So to get the good stuff, <laughs> he had to pay and he, you know, I'm going to put in quotes gold, but it was real money. And he would, you know, tell you a bug like, Oh, if you put weight on a trade window, you know, it'll make them drop all their stuff. I mean, the amount of, exploitation the amount of griefing that people would go through i have never seen in, in a game even to this day right i mean it's just but on the flip side because i'm going to ask you probably the next very controversial question that everyone you know wanted me to ask you is you know everyone loves well i'm not gonna say everyone there is a strong population that loves the feluca you know aspect of it when trammel came a lot of people have said that was really the death of UO to them, right? I'll say that very clearly. You know, what is what was your opinion on, you know, the split? And did you go back and forth about, the, you know, that decision? Or, you know, what was your thought? Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting that there are a number of decisions that we made in the past where people debated it at the time and have debated it, you know, forever <laughs> since. Yeah. And this is, this is probably the, the key one of the archetype of this, but it's not alone. There are many, there are others of these. Right. But what you have to understand is, uh, any community, uh, only exists while it is thriving and to thrive it, has to at the very least maintain itself in a sense of size and yeah. and value if it's a game service uh and hopefully grow uh as a as a as a as a community and as a game service and so before we did the split 
we ran into this issue with PVP. So at first, PVP was what I'll describe as out of control. Right. There were, there were literally so many ways to cheat <laughs> and take advantage of people that the game was honestly punishing right. new players who were trying to come in to play it. Um, we were, you know, for the first, you know, most of a year, um, anyone that was new to the game stood no chance to not only be successful, but frankly, just to survive long enough to be hooked by the game. Right. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I was in game mastering myself, trying to shepherd new players on their initial experiences just to make sure they just didn't give up and wander yeah. away. And so, and so, so for, we spent a lot of time plugging those holes, like the teleporters and other ways that yeah. people were just getting ganked all over the place, <laughs> so ganking yeah. the newbies, you know, so right. to speak, was happening everywhere. But then after, then after we plugged as many of those holes as we could, we found that the role players who were, you know, we actually think in a weird way, you, 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 the, ultimately you need to find a way to make these two groups play well together. Yeah, in the, in the sandbox. <laughs> you, you want role players who have a sense of danger going out, but not think of it as foolhardy. Right. Uh, and you want the, the, you know, the, while the PVPers are happy to sometimes just prey on other PVPers, frankly, it's a lot more fun to mastermind a major criminal raid, you know, onto, right. yeah. uh, you know, onto someone who thinks that they have built a system that is free from exploitation by PVPers. And so inevitably these two cultures, you might say, are, yeah. are at a, are at odds, which would be which is important that tension is important but we found that even after a year that the balance was so heavily in favor of pvp that the the community had stopped growing literally mm. we could not bring new people into the game okay. and so so we did not have an option to do nothing so to not sure. figure out a way to make role playing more sustainable I don't believe that that is a path we could not have taken and have the game continue uh, even for a few years, much less long, long time. Uh, and so the split for Trammell and Feluca, was it optimal? By no means was it optimal. Right. But uh, did it disappoint a lot of the PvP players? Absolutely. Of course, it took the prey away. Yeah. Um, but it let the role-playing gamers flourish. And so for that other part of the community, it actually worked to help us grow the totality of players, even right. though a lot of the earliest reasons for even for the game's success, which was the PvP stuff, a lot of those people truly were disappointed they, they didn't like this new structure. And you know, and we spent years after that trying to figure out a way to man, you know, merge them <laughs> right. and manage it and you know, yeah. have them force them to interact or encourage them to interact better. Uh, but we knew that in fact to really fix that, we thought it's gonna take a new game, not not just this game. It was it was already the you know cat was out of the bag, so to speak, in any way, any in some sense of the word. Now let me ask you this because this is you know it, it's so funny how after talking to these other owners, they're faced with very similar decisions that you had to make. Was there any option on the table instead of doing trammel, like in, increasing the harshness for penalties for let's say murderers instead to try to dial back that? You know, we we did we did try things like that, and so um, you know, I can't remember what the original rules were, how you could turn yourself red. You know, the, <laughs> right. Uh, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, we we you know, I, I honestly don't remember what other option, what our main other option was, other than splitting. But yes, we absolutely splitting was such a pain. Right. That we absolutely tried as many other things as we could first, just because that was. That was not the no one was no one was excited about that option. We felt that that was a necessary evil. Right. That wasn't that was by no means our kind of like ah oh, this will work. Let's try this. You know we 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 all knew it was uh, dangerous and somewhat disappointing ground to tread on to some people. Well, and I and I hope too everyone that's listening to can understand that there are you know business decisions, <laughs> and then there are other things that go into this and. And, I, and really with this podcast, and I, I think people are opening their eyes, how difficult and how fragile small decisions can be on a game. Because even in the free shower that I play on, you know, they did have, a, a, you know, a, I would say path chosen where, 
reds, like, for instance, if a red dies in a dungeon, they're locked out of that dungeon for 15 minutes to prevent, you know, people coming back in and it, and it blocks your IP. So like, no matter what account, you can't come back in and grief and stuff. So it's wild to me how, you know, these other, I would say, rules can try to combat that because, you know, this hardcore, I'll, I'll, I'll put myself in there just hardcore by, you know, my mindset of, I like Feluca, <laughs> not by play style, but you know, we play Feluca for a reason, but there are still decisions that have to be made because yeah, if you get res killed a hundred times, well, that's not very fun. Right. Even for me that has played for, <laughs> you know, decades. Right. Um, right. So, so, okay. So you've answered that, which thank you for that. That that was definitely great to hear. And I hope people respect that. Yeah, that was, I think, something that had to be done. Now, I'm going to shift into uncharted territory for me personally, um, and that is the role-playing aspect, because it was funny. I, I was talking to someone, and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not a big role-player. And he's like, he comes to me, he goes, you know you're playing a role-playing game, right? <laughs> I laughed. I said, yes, you are correct. I said, but... Um, I'm going to give you a quick story of how my Saturday night went in Ultima. And this is only something that can happen in UO. So there are a group of orcs. That is, it's, a, it's a very large organization that spans different shards. I don't even know if they were on. Um, I think there were some back uh, in like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. But these guys speak orcish. They are fully in, right? And every free shard that I've played most owners will build an orc fort for the orcs just because they're they're just really cool right so and i've been streaming ultima and i've kind of started interacting with the orcs and i've been trying to learn orcish which is very bad i don't know it all the time but i discovered that if you bring shinies to the orcs you can pay them for a service so these guys were killing me and i was getting real frustrated i'm like you know what i'm gonna go to the orc fort i'm gonna pay a bounty <laughs> I'm going to have the orcs go after him. And what ended up happening since I was streaming, people saw where I was. I get my bag. I get, I had like 5,000 gold. It wasn't very much. I spread it out and orcs like gems, by the way, they really enjoy diamonds. So I make sure I put some diamonds. I had like, um, I think a shield and a couple swords. So I make my way back to the orc fort. And sure enough, the people that were killing me were all hidden in the orc fort and they revealed themselves and just blasted me right? I die. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I'm laughing. So they took my tribute and then they put a whole bunch more gold on top because it was a bigger guild and paid the orcs to come after me. And what ensued two hours later was, and the orcs, uh, very tricky, you know, tricky race of, of, of fellows here, but they came storming in and most of them are reds and they have a strict code they follow, but they came storming in and it created this epic field fight that was just a blast okay and i think you understand what i'm talking about with with the orc play style but was there ever a decision to possibly bring other races especially orcs you probably know where this question's coming from it's from the orcs <laughs> they wanted to know was that ever something you considered for another race originally no um but interestingly uh, the orcs played a very special role in carrying across that. But but now you need to understand a little Ultima history okay. uh, to understand my approach to the answer to that question. So if you look at Ultimas 1, 2, and 3, those games were all literally whatever books and movies that I had been watching recently <laughs> and I thought were cool, yeah. everything about them was shoved into my games. And okay. so... You know, Ultima 1 not only included dungeons and towns and cities, but also uh, rocket ships and flying in space to other planets. Yeah. Uh, Ultima 1 included, uh, you know, land speeders and lightsabers. <laughs> you, know, you might think you're inspired by Star Wars. Um, <laughs> Ultima 2 uh, included uh, time travel, all of the movie Time Bandits. In fact, that's where the cloth maps, maps came from. Was, oh, wow. Uh, okay. was really inspired by the movie Time Bandits. Um, and the same was largely true for Ultima 3. Basically, anything that I thought was cool was put into one. And after Ultima 3, not only to decide, by the way, I'm seeing everybody's loving to kill all my characters, well, Lord British in particular, but also all the villagers, <laughs> and so I need to make a game about virtue, 
Right. At the same time, I said, you know, instead of just plagiarizing everybody else's monsters and items, I had to really make my own from scratch. I had to take more care and craft the reality of my game as mine. Right. And so uh, the first thing I did is I said, I want to get rid of, there's no more Balrogs. That's clearly Tolkien. You know, <laughs> right. uh, you know. Uh, and so I said, you know, if I start from scratch and now there's, you know, the natural creatures of earth, what am I willing to go beyond the natural creatures of earth? And so then I said, okay, I think it's fair to go anything that is literally historically mythological. I'm happy okay. to bring in, you know, unicorns and maybe some elves and gremlins or, you know, whatever else I, is in literally hundreds of years of, of aged uh, intellectual property, so to speak, yeah. or, you know, uh, uh, standards. But everything else I kind of tried to push aside. And there were some exceptions. And orcs, by the way, was was one of the exceptions. We said, <laughs> yeah. you know, orcs, they're mostly Tolkien, or at least our impression of what they are is mostly tor Tolkien. But, you know, goblins and orc-like things are, you know, are, are still not uncommon. And so in Ultima Online, we actually built one uh, orc fortress. And by yeah. the way, that when we built it, we did not think of it as a major deal in any way, shape, or form. Wow, it was okay. literally just a, you know, we're building the dark woods over here. You're building the volcano <laughs> terrors right. over there. You're building an orc colony up there. You know, I mean, yeah. it literally was one of dozens of little areas of danger that some random developer on the team put down as, you know, kind of a, you know, their work of the day. Right. Um, <clears throat> but almost immediately, once the game went live, role players took it over. <laughs> and yeah. and they decided they were going to be the orcs that the the game spawn orcs were irrelevant uh but they were going to now role play as this so that was the that was the first and strongest and longest sustained true hardcore role-playing community in ultima online yeah you know, from the from the get-go and 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 their take-up was so fast and so powerful and so thorough that we then began to support it. We began to go like, okay, we'll we'll help. We'll expand that fortress area for you. We'll help right. bring on you know supplies into the game that really help you do role play this well. You know, uh, bone parts you could wear on the outside yeah. as armor and masks and you know other things that would uh, help that. Um, and so it ultimately became you know a, a, obviously a major part that still remains. But it, but there was no foresight that went into that. What but what you also see happening in Ultima is and this goes back also to the time of ultima 4 okay where you know prior to ultima 4 your character in any role-playing game was called your character mm -hmm. it was not referred to as your avatar right and and so in a normal role-playing game and including uo in this in this particular sense but in in most role-playing games if you want if your character if you're playing the character of conan well, then you might be expected to act like Conan. Right. You know, and, and, you know, uh, you are a morally dubious, powerful guy, you know, yeah. not for his own interests. And, <laughs> and the fact that that generally means that he's overthrowing bad guys is great, but he's not exactly a good guy either. And, uh, and as soon as I started doing games about virtues, where I said, I want you to be a person of, I want you, when you steal it from, when you personally are, are driving your character to steal from the shop, or kill one of my town members. I want you, the human sitting in the chair on Earth, <laughs> to feel guilty. That karma is going back to you. Right. It's not going back to Conan. It's going <laughs> back to you. And so, therefore, this character is no longer your alter ego. This character is your avatar. Yeah. And so, starting when I did that is when I also tended to get rid of other playable races. I mean, in the early Ultimas, you could choose to be a Bobbit instead of a Hobbit. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could you could get fuzzy, <laughs> and you could do all kinds of you could be, be you could be all different kinds of things. But 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 most of that sort of got thinned out a lot once I started making sure this is you in this world. And I, and you could be you know your avatar could clearly be an elf. I'm not arguing that that is not that, you know just like in the movie Avatar. You know, you can right. manifest into whatever alien creature you want. What's important is what was really important to me was that it was you in that body. Uh, uh, but I started with humans and have been, you know, reluctant to uh, spread out beyond humans. But okay. Sometimes now. Yeah. And I mean, in my most recent games, you know, Shroud of the Avatar started with purely humans. Right. And 
it is wild to see because the orcs have their own discord and I, and they have an orcs and humans section. So I can actually go in there and, and talk and interact. And they have every Saturday night, they call it blood moon and they'll go out to the dungeons and they're just slot. They call, I think, believe it's like slaughter moon, but they go out and just kill everyone. You know, whatever they see, they kill, you know, and it is, it's wild to just see. And I think I'm pretty sure, and they'll probably chime in, you know, after this is published that, Oh yeah, I was back in the nineties. I played because, and they've all moved to, I play a, a free short right now called outlands. And that's where the, all the orcs are currently. And that was the top question, you know, why didn't you make an orc, you know, <laughs> a playable race back in the day. But, but I want to make sure I, I touch on something that you said. So the, the original design for like the bone armor was because of the orcs then, right? Right, exactly. And wow. so, uh, uh, it, you know, it's possible we had somebody internally that had thought of some pieces of bone armor, but I mean, it was, it was just uh, uh, obvious right at the very beginning that this would be great for role playing. Right. And, uh, and then, and so we then, you know, pushed hard on supporting it. No, that's awesome. Okay. So what, and, and you know, you've also <laughs> been kind of hailed as like one of the most accessible, you know, figures in UO and the fact that you're just receptive you know, to talk to people and, you know, address some of the more bigger concerns people usually have. But um, what are, are there any game systems or mechanics of UO, you know, that modern day exists now that didn't exist back then that you could apply? And like, what would you do? Is there anything interesting that you could think of? No, are you asking me things that the UO innovated or things that we could bring back to, for example, in the UO from other games? Bring back, exactly. Oh, well, so, yeah, so it's interesting that as a, as a gamer, um, it's interesting where I get my inspiration from and where I don't. Interestingly, I actually play very few other people's role-playing games. Okay. And interestingly, it's usually because it, they frustrate me because they don't do it the way I would do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll pick on, there's a, a really great uh, popular game in Korea that uh, that our, one of our partners developed called Lineage. Yeah. And Lineage is very much like Ultima Online uh, in the sense of its look. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, it looks better. And the first day I actually sat down with it, I was incredibly impressed in the yeah. sense of here was a really beautiful world to go walk around in. And so I walked up to a, a, a little shop that had some fruit out in baskets on a table and a treasure chest on the floor next to it. And I tried to double click on the chest or treasure chest to see if it was locked or unlocked or yeah. what do if it was open. And it did nothing. <laughs> and then yeah. I tried to drag the fruit off the counter. And, and I realized the entirety was just one big piece of art, right? It was, <laughs> right. There was nothing about it that was interactive. <laughs> and, and I was immediately like, what? Yeah. How, how can this possibly be that they have <laughs> built me all these things that attract my eye to want to touch them? Right. And not a one of them is actually interactive. And uh, because, of course, that game was really a combat game. And so as, yeah. a, as a as a game of fighting each other, it did that all that stuff just fine. It just isn't the way I would make it. And so I was like, I would I usually would put away people's games that aren't the one the role playing games that aren't the ones I would write. Right. But there are some exceptions. I love Diablo. Um, yeah. uh, and I also love Worlds of Warcraft. And it's interesting, both of those are made by Blizzard. Yeah. And and I think the real difference is is that Blizzard just has this perfection in the way they put things together that I admire and I would love to take back to my own games. And I already mentioned sort of this challenge and reward cycle right. that they do just right. You know, they, they, the metering of challenge and the periodicity of the rewards and the scale of those rewards are, are managed very well to keep you enticed and keep you moving forward. And, and, uh, uh, and so I've, I've always admired and hoped I could do that better in my own games. But the majority of my inspiration actually comes from completely other types of games. Like uh, I remember when the first Medal of Honor came out and it had the first semblances of AI in it. Yeah. And I would sit back and go, you know, you know, I remember standing up in a tower and shooting a vehicle and the vehicle rolled over, but then the, 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 the soldiers in it got out and kept running to the tower that I was in. I was going, <laughs> right. like, wow, that's a, that's really a, that's a stacking level that I hadn't imagined even attempting, but it makes me then sit back and go like, oh, well that's, you know, I can do something similar by having a, the creature that split up or, you know, there's, there's other ways to, right. to, to use the excitement that I saw out of that is something I could apply into role-playing games or command and conquer. And after command and conquer, going back to Blizzard again, the Warcraft uh, 
uh, not their world of, but the the Warcraft uh, real time strategy. Yes, game. yes. Uh, you know, I would sit back and look at those and go like, okay, that is a complete other play dynamic that I haven't. You know, while we're in here playing a multiplayer game or even a solo player Ultima, how can I create this kind of dynamic that you you're kind of managing uh, uh, the building of things. And so we think about crops perhaps might be inspired by that or right. pets and those sort of things. And so uh, that's really where I get my inspiration from is non role-playing games are my wow. primary inspiration. No, that that's fascinating. All right, guys, we're going to stop it right here. Um, definitely come back next week. I'm going to have part two, which is going to be a little bit longer. Um, so this is, you know, almost a tease, but I honestly had a very hard um, time determining where do I stop <laughs> because just all the content is is so good. And some of the questions we get into, you know, are, are just naturally just, you know, crazy to me. You know, you hear about, you know, Gary talking about lineage and World of Warcraft and the original Warcraft. I mean, just stuff that I, I never thought, you know, would just come up organically in conversation, and it did. Um, so I think you all are in for a real treat next week. So please, uh, you know, reach out to me again. Let me know what you guys thought. But I, I sincerely appreciate you guys uh, tuning in and uh, giving this a listen. So we will catch you uh, next week. Thank you.